Hey, 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 Erica here. Welcome to today's episode where we will be growing in adaptability with our problem solving skills. I wanted to begin by quoting a passage from Al Siebert's book, The Resiliency Advantage. In his book, he says that the most resilient people, in contrast, control their emotional reactions in a crisis. They engage the problems and then process their feelings afterward. So, it seems that emotions play an integral part of problem solving. Barbara Fredrickson, in her book, Positivity, shows that positive emotions broaden your cognitive skills. So, if you really want to be able to solve problems, you should have fun doing it. This is why simulations and icebreakers and activities work in workshops. This is why what you remember seems sharper when you have fun with friends. This is why when I learn to master my balance with dance moves, it's easier because I'm having fun. I even have fun in the gym because I enjoy being with my friend. Seabird says, play for instance, builds physical skills, self-mastery, understanding, and improves health. Maybe we should build more playing to our lives, eh? (laughs) We all know that if something is enjoyable, it becomes easier for us to get better at. And it is for this reason that problem solving in the workplace or indeed in our personal lives is often most effective when a team brainstorming approach is instigated to encourage comprehensive thinking, analytical, creative, and practical so that all possible solutions are considered. It should be added that If a mistake or a setback happens as they do, it is looked upon as another problem to be solved and something to be learned from rather than a calamity. It's not that I'm so smart. It's just that I stay with problems longer, says Albert Einstein. Einstein may just have been modest or he may truly have believed that this was the explanation behind some of his great achievements. In retrospect, perhaps he was highly resilient and had the ability to look at the problems he was trying to solve comprehensively. It is believed that it is the way you think about challenges and problems which can help you build resilience and well-being at work. And 
this is another factor of resilience which isn't inbuilt in your genes or personality in which you do have the ability to change. According to Siebert, there are three kinds of intelligence. The most effective problem solvers step outside their usual thinking style and use all three types of their intelligence to produce solutions, analytical, creative, and practical. Analytical intelligence is where logic, reason, and abstract thinking is used to solve familiar problems. Creative intelligence is used to invent unusual solutions and new and unfamiliar circumstances. Practical intelligence is applied to solving situational, real-life problems. Here's an example of a person using the three intelligences to solve and manage a diagnosis of vertigo. Here's what they had to say. I've certainly had a chance to exercise all of my problem-solving skills managing my vertigo. I keep a health history and log of my vertigo attacks, looking for patterns, analytical. I keep canes around the house and invent tools to help me reach things and walk places I can't normally go. Creative. I use canes, have a very bright flashlight in my pocketbook so I can walk safely. A handicap placard so I can park close and all kinds of other tools so I can be comfortable and safe throughout the day and leave the house. Practical. And Mark and the girls and I laugh as much and as often as possible. So, as we continue on throughout this episode, here is a lesson challenge for you to try out. As you think about your emotional resilience, think about your problem solving Do you fully engage all three parts of your problem-solving self, that is, your analytical self, your creative self, and your street-smart self? Is one of those problem-solving selves more developed than another? Can you think of ways to develop the other parts more fully? especially while having fun doing it. In order to become more resilient and effective at decision-making, we must learn to strengthen our problem-solving skills so we can better deal with obstacles that we may face. The following are ways to develop problem-solving skills in our lives. Ask questions. Asking questions is one of the best ways to develop 
strong problem-solving skills because asking questions gets you to begin thinking critically. It is via critical thinking and asking analytical questions that one can truly get to the bottom of problems and begin developing solutions. Asking questions also ensures that the problem is accurately defined so that the correct issue can be addressed. Gather information. It can be easy to assume we already have what we need or know all we need to solve problems and challenges that arise in our lives. However, that often fails to be true and leaves us ill-prepared and ill-informed. This means taking the time to consult additional persons and sources for information so that a strong foundation is laid for the problem to be accurately defined and then solved. Flexibility and adaptability. The ability to be flexible is an important skill to possess when it comes to problem solving because many problems often require pivoting when it comes to the application stage. This means that as possible solutions are being weighed and even applied, one may realize that selected options are not viable and need to go with other options to more effectively solve those problems. Approach with positivity. Often we approach problems with apprehension and negativity that hinders our ability to clearly and open-mindedly address an issue. When we have a positive outlook, we can approach issues with optimism. That makes us more likely to actually find a viable solution. Believing that a challenge is an opportunity for growth and that a positive outcome can be achieved sets the tone for the ultimate outcome. So when we are better equipped to solve problems, we become people who are also more resilient. Having the skills we need to analyze issues, generate possible options, and apply solutions also helps us build the same skills that help us become more tolerant of difficulties and recover from the difficulties we face with speed. Thus, active pursuits of activities and opportunities that will allow us to practice asking more questions, gathering information, being flexible, and approaching problems with positivity will help build better problem-solving skills and therefore enhance our resilience. By applying a problem-solving process, you are more likely to avoid Maslow's hammer occurring in your workplace and life. He said, 
I suppose it's tempting if the only tool you have is a hammer to treat everything as if it were a nail. Finding a suitable solution for issues can be accomplished by following the basic four-step problem-solving process and methodology I'll be outlining for you today. 1. Define the problem. Identifying the actual problem, which is really a goal-setting exercise if you haven't set goalposts, it will be difficult to get the ball through them at the end of the process. Breaking the problem down into smaller, more manageable parts if the problem seems overbearing. Generate alternative solutions. Generating possible solutions which will involve thinking comprehensively through all the possible solutions. Evaluate and select an alternative. You want to start by defining the problem, identifying the actual problem, which is really a goal-setting exercise. If you haven't set the goalposts, it will be difficult to get the ball through them at the end of the process. Break the problem down into smaller, more manageable parts if the problem seems overbearing. Next, we want to generate alternative solutions. Generating possible solutions which will involve thinking comprehensively through all the possible solutions. Then, evaluate and select an alternative. Evaluating the options in order to decide which of the approaches will be applied to the problem you are faced with. And lastly, implement and follow up on the solution, monitoring the results to ensure it has solved your problem, and if not, returning to step two and continuing with the process until the problem is eventually resolved. I'll be going into these in more detail. You may want to grab a pen and paper and take some notes, y'all. In step one, defining the problem, we always want to make sure that we are differentiating fact from opinion. Specify the underlying causes. Consult each faction involved for information. State the problem specifically. Identify what standard or expectation is violated. Determine in which process the problem lies. Avoid trying to solve the problem without data. Diagnose the situation so that your focus 
is on the problem, not just its symptoms. Helpful problem-solving techniques include using flowcharts to identify the expected steps of a process and cause and effect diagrams to define and analyze root causes. I'll be explaining key problem-solving steps to help define the problem. These steps support the involvement of interested parties the use of factual information, comparison of expectations to reality, and a focus on the root causes of a problem. You should begin by reviewing and documenting how processes currently work. That is, who does what, with what information, using what tools, communicating with what organizations and individuals, in what time frame, using what format. Evaluate the possible impact of new tools and revised policies in the development of your what should be model. In step two, Generate alternative solutions by postponing evaluating alternatives initially. Include all involved individuals in the generating of alternatives. Specify alternatives consistent with organizational goals. Specify short and long-term alternatives, brainstorm on others' ideas, seek alternatives that may solve the problem, postpone the selection of one solution until several problem-solving alternatives have been proposed, considering multiple alternatives can significantly enhance the value of your ideal solution. Once you have decided on the what should be model, this target standard becomes the basis for developing a roadmap for investigating alternatives. Brainstorming and team problem-solving techniques are both useful tools in this stage of problem solving. Many alternative solutions to the problem should be generated before the final evaluation. A common mistake in problem solving is that alternatives are evaluated as they are proposed. So the first acceptable solution is chosen even if it's not the best fit. If we focus on trying to get the results we want, we miss the potential of learning something new that will allow for real improvement in the problem-solving process. In step three, we evaluate and select an alternative. Evaluate alternatives relative to a target standard. 
Evaluate all alternatives without bias. Evaluate alternatives relative to established goals. Evaluate both proven and possible outcomes. State the selected alternative explicitly. Skilled problem solvers use a series of considerations when selecting the best alternative. They consider the extent to which a particular alternative will solve the problem without causing other unanticipated problems. They consider the extent to which all the individuals involved will accept the alternative, that the implementation of the alternative is likely, and that the alternative fits within the organizational constraints. In step four, we implement and follow up on the solution. Plan and implement a pilot test of the chosen alternative. Gather feedback from all affected parties. Seek acceptance or consensus by all those affected. Establish ongoing measures and monitoring. Evaluate long-term results based on final solution. Involving others in the implementation is an effective way to gain buy-in and support and minimize resistance to subsequent changes. Regardless of how the solution is rolled out, feedback channels should be built into the implementation. This allows for continuous monitoring and testing of actual events against expectations. Problem solving and the techniques used to gain clarity are more effective if the solution remains in place and is updated to respond to future changes. Now, let's talk a bit about appreciative inquiry, shall we? Appreciative inquiry is about looking for the best in people, in the way they work, the way they live, in the way they behave. Initially, appreciative inquiry was a fundamental shift in the overall perspective of organizational development that took into account the entire human functioning, including strengths, possibilities, and success. Appreciative inquiry was adopted by Work Done by David Cooperwriter and Suresh Srivativa. They felt that the overuse of problem solving hampered any kind of social improvement and what was needed were new methods of inquiry that would help generate new ideas and models for how to organize. According to them, appreciative inquiries help in building the core strengths of an organization, shifting the focus from organizational weaknesses to the organizational strengths, letting individuals as well as the industry stick to its fundamental principles 
bringing a wholesome change that benefits every aspect of the firm. It is now a commonly accepted practice in the evaluation of organizational development strategy and implementation of organizational effectiveness tactics. No problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it, says Albert Einstein. Appreciative inquiry is a particular way of asking questions and envisioning the future that fosters positive relationships and builds on the basic goodness in a person, a situation, or an organization. In so doing, it enhances a system's capacity for collaboration and change. The basic idea is to build organizations around what works rather than trying to fix what doesn't. It is the opposite of problem solving. Instead of focusing on gaps and inadequacies to find blame and remediate skills or practices, appreciative inquiry focuses on how to create more of the occasional exceptional performance that is occurring because a core of strengths is aligned. The approach acknowledges the contribution of individuals in order to increase trust and organizational alignment. The method aims to create meaning by drawing from stories of concrete successes and lends itself to cross-industrial social activities. It can be enjoyable and natural to especially people who are often sociable in nature. Consider the following two paradigms. In paradigm one, for problem solving, there is a felt need for identification of a problem. We analyze the causes. We analyze possible solutions. Then the action planning or treatment begins. In this paradigm, organizing is a problem to be solved. In paradigm two, or appreciative inquiry, we are appreciating or valuing the best of what is. We are envisioning what might be. We are dialoguing on what should be. We are innovating on what will be. In this paradigm, organizing is a mystery, an infinite capacity to be embraced. Now, I want you to think, which of these paradigms do you prefer? There will be a bonus question and answer section at the end of this episode where you can drop your answer. Appreciative inquiry is a skill of asking relevant and positive questions that strengthen individual and organizational strength. Appreciative inquiry tools and applications are realistic and straightforward. 
they are flexible and easy to use. And here are some practical tips from M.R. Chaudhry on how we can make the most of them. One, select positivity as the prime focus. An efficient, appreciative inquiry model focuses more on what has worked best for the company rather than what did not work out. For example, individuals or teams who rely on a positive, appreciative inquiry approach would replace questions like, why were clients unhappy and complained about us? With affirmative inquiries such as, what made our clients happy earlier? Can we improvise on the same line? A positive shift in the questions we ask ourselves and the company as a whole is the first and significant step to bringing about the desirable changes in the workforce. The main idea here is to attend more to what we want and less on what we don't want. Two, explore the exceptionality of the methods. Positive questions rewire our brain to filter only the fruitful pieces of information and on our internal strengths. An excellent way to ensure this happens is to investigate and ask ourselves what went particularly well after applying the appreciative inquiries. Exploring the advantages of the questions help in discovering their unique capabilities in understanding which areas of functioning they facilitate the most. For example, we understand whether it is the tone or the language or the content of the appreciative inquiry that brought about the positive consequences and identify those areas as the exceptionality of it. Three, share to gain perspective. Appreciative inquiries extend to involve a large number of individuals and work wonders in creating a positive organizational change. When we share our life incidents and inspirational stories and exchange perceptions with each other, the likelihood of creating a positive, appreciative inquiry structure increases manifold. Besides, it also allows for the smooth transition of positive energy from one person to another and positively impacts our professional development. Four, keep room for innovation and improvisation. 
whether the appreciative inquiry was successful or not, it is always good to continue improvising them. We can do so by regularly monitoring the outcomes, communicating with leaders about new ways of implementing these strategies, or by developing training programs to spread awareness about the inquiry systems. Whatever way we choose, the whole idea is to keep moving forward and explore the endless benefits of using appreciative inquiry. Making decisions and solving problems are two key areas in life, whether you are at home or at work. Whatever you're doing and wherever you are, you are faced with countless decisions and problems, both small and large, every day. Many decisions and problems are so small that we may not even notice them. Even small decisions, however, can be overwhelming to some people. They may come to a halt as they consider their dilemma and try to decide what to do. The key difference between problem solving and decision making is that solving problems is a process, whereas making decisions is an action based on insights derived during the problem solving process. Many people use the terms problem solving and decision making interchangeably, but they are not the same. Problem solving is an analytical process used to identify the possible solutions to the situation at hand. Making decisions is a part of problem solving. Problem solving is a complex process and judgment calls or decisions will have to be made on the way. Decision making is a choice made by using one's judgment. You may need to make numerous decisions as parts of the problem-solving process and of course leaders and managers will need to use their decision-making skills to determine which solution to pursue. They will also typically need to confirm and set into motion next steps to fix the problem. Let's consider examples of small and large decisions. In your day-to-day -day life, you're likely to encounter numerous small decisions, including, for example, tea or coffee. What shall I have in my sandwich? Or should I have a salad instead today? What shall I wear today? Large decisions may occur less frequently, but may include, should we repaint the kitchen? If so, what color? 
Should we relocate? Should I propose to my partner? Do I really want to spend the rest of my life with him or her? These decisions and others like them may take considerable time and effort to make. When making decisions, there are many steps that can be taken, but when making good decisions, there are really only a few steps that need to be considered. The steps are as follows. And does this decision work best for you now and in the future? When you answer those questions back, you should feel good about the result. Step four, evaluate your decision. Once you have made your final decision and put it into action, it is necessary to evaluate the decision and the steps you've taken to ensure that it works. This final step is probably just as important as step one, if not more important, because it will help you to further develop your decision-making skills for future problems. This step is also fundamental because it may require you to seek out new information and to make some changes along the way. Remember, this step requires some patience and it can also encourage perseverance. Why? Because it may take some time to see the final outcome. Recognizing that if the first decision is not working, you may have to go back to step two and choose another option. And that's all we have for today, folks. Remember, a variety of problems regularly arise in everyday working environments and hence a variety of solutions are required to solve them. These solutions require a great deal of thought, time, investigation, and resources, meaning getting problem-solving right can have very important consequences for your life and work. Solving problems is a key skill essential to becoming a successful person and improving your life and work performance. Quickly weighing up available options and taking decisive actions to select the best solution to a problem is integral to efficient performance. While misdiagnosing the initial problem or selecting an inappropriate solution can cause serious issues. It is important to always get the problem-solving process right. Avoiding taking too little time 
to define the problem or generate potential solutions. However, solving problems is not as simple as following the recommended steps, as many other factors can come into play. An individual's personality, cognitive biases, habits, fear of going against the rhetoric, and underlying assumptions can all affect the decision-making process. Being aware of the factors that can affect problem-solving is essential in reaching the best solution. A wide range of techniques for problem-solving exist, and each can be appropriate given the situation and individual involved. Examples include six thinking hats, 4D vision, the scientific method, logic, creative, and what if. Problem solving in real world situations require a great deal of resourcefulness, flexibility, resilience, and continuous interaction with the environment. The important skills to attain are to assess the situation independently of any other factors and to know when to trust your own instincts and when to ask for a second opinion on a potential solution to a problem. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode and I hope to catch you on the next one. Until later! Thank mm-hmm. you.